begin today our series through the Advent season, and we'll be looking at different parts, different angles of what this joy is that we proclaim upon the world, and also we'll use some of the words from the hymn, Joy to the World, and as we then on Christmas Eve sing that hymn together, our hope around here is that you'll have a few more thoughts behind what you're singing, and it will have a few more uh, places of depth. Today we're going to be thinking about part uh, as far as the curse is found. What does that mean? What is this curse? Where is it found? And what is the joy on the other side of that curse? So we're going to begin today with a reading in Genesis 3. And in this passage, from the very beginnings of the Bible, we hear about a curse. We hear about something that has happened to us, that has happened uh, to this world in which we, we live our lives. And it's going to bring perspective upon uh, why there is so much hardship, why, why it feels like we don't make progress, why, why it feels like at times we get pricked, why it feels at times we don't, we don't feel whole or at, at a place of peace, why, why there is such grief and sadness, the loss of, of human life. So let's look at this. This is Genesis 3. This is uh, a story in which we are being told uh, the origins of what we're living now. Okay? It helps us understand uh, and, and see why Life is the way life is for us. This is the story of Adam and Eve, and they've already taken a bite of that famous apple. And God has already come and asked them where they are, and they've already hidden, and they've already been found out. God is now basically telling them what the effect is now upon having made the decision to eat the apple. The effect upon having made the decision to not follow the words that that God told them. When we often, as humans, also uh, will decide to, to live in rebellion to what God asks us to do. And, and we all do it. We all do things. And our conscience tells us. We turn back and say, I wish I hadn't said that to that person. Or I wish I hadn't made that choice. Uh, we, can, we can quickly turn back and realize, oh, that probably wasn't the right thing to do in that situation. And so like Adam, like Eve, like all of us, now we find ourselves before, before God. And this is what happens Uh, when Adam and Eve made that decision, and God comes and now tells them the effects of that decision. So Genesis 3, we'll start in verse 17. So to Adam, God said, Because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Well, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord made garments for skin out of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. These are the words of God for us today. We give thanks 
that they are here before us, that they can be read, that they can be read in community and in communion, and that together, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can, we can think about this together. We can even understand what God wants for us together. So we give thanks. Our experience in life is something that's practical. It's physical. It's experiential. And it's not nearly or merely some abstract idea. But how often do you find faith or, or Christianity or people talking about faith and religion, how often does it get narrowed down to some sort of an abstract spirituality? Some sort of, a, uh, if you believe enough, then all will be okay type of conversation or belief. But religion and Christianity or, or living with faith is always going to have this hazard of being filtered, of, of being filtered down into simply a conversation about abstract thought or, or philosophy, a spiritual philosophy, in which uh, you're just you're trying to think your way out of not feeling bad. You're trying to think your way into having a life that's based on grace and, and hope. But all the while, we leave here, and what happens? In the day-to-day life, things go wrong. In the day-to-day life, in many different ways, we stub our toes, we break our hands, we do all sorts of things that, that prove that, in fact, uh, things are not how they should. And no amount of, of praying, no amount of thinking the right way, thinking christian is going to solve that. We all go through times in our life in which um, the, the words that you might hear in a sermon or in, in a prayer are best thoughts of how to live a pure life and holy life. When it comes down to it, when the rubber meets the road, we all know, we've all experienced that this life, that this world is damaged goods. And there seems to be no way around it. Even when we experience some sort of a problem in our life, uh, and we might even pledge ourselves to do things differently, or, or we hope that things will be different, the next week comes around, the next year comes around, the next situation comes around, and what? Once again, we're confronted by the, the physical, experiential problems that you encounter in this world. They can be on the microscopic level of, of just yourself, your own psyche, your own mental health, your own physical health. It could be a little larger. It could be talking about the places in which you work or the friends that you have or your families and, and the brokenness that you might see there. You can go big in the macroscopic level and think of countries raging against countries and threats of nuclear war and genocides. It's obvious, is it not? that this world has some fundamental problems and some fundamental issues. God's plan is to not filter faith through some sort of, some sort of a, a philosophical spirituality. There's no room in God's plan for us to simply uh, think things are okay and go on in life and have Christianity as some sort of an elaborate psychological coping mechanism. It's not going to work. This is not God's plan here. God's plan is for us to have real conversations about what's happening in real life. We have a beautiful sanctuary, and this is a place where we can come together and we can project beautiful Christmas art. We can light candles, and it does. We're, we're bringing ourselves into the hope and the peace and the love, that joy uh, that Christ offers to us. But we also need to keep one hand on this outside world as we're talking together that is broken. We can't ignore our lives that happen. This is just part of it. 
And so my first, my first step today is to say, each of us, no matter who you are in this room, has experienced brokenness in your life. Each of you, like me, we've all, we've all done things that we're not proud of. Each of you, like me, are all, are all in this life trying to get through doing the best we can, but oftentimes we feel like life is stacked against us. Like even when we try, we end up making decisions and doing things that, that don't bring life and grace and truth. And this is a common, this is a common experience in this room. Anyone who thinks that they are, they're uh, the, the clean one here, then we need to take a look in the mirror and realize that in Genesis 3, we see that our origins are, are one in which we do walk away from what's good. We do end up hurting our relationships with other people in, in the world around us. And so what happens when Adam and Eve make this decision and God comes, the effect, God says, is that now there is a, a curse upon, upon life. The specific words that we see here are, are thistles and thorns. The, the curse that we have in the first part is, is a thistly curse. I like that it's both thistles and thorns, because thistles seem a little less dangerous to me. Thistles are the type of curse in my life in which I feel like, no matter how much I try, I get agitated. They're not maybe the big things that can stop your life, but they are the small things, like the alarm goes off, and I really don't want to get out of bed. There's a reason for that. It's because we have a curse, like a thistly curse in our life. All those ways you get agitated when, when, you're, when your significant other says those things that, that they know exactly where your buttons are, and they push them. And you can tell that they're saying sometimes those things. Or your children start to get on your nerves. Or those times in which you break your hand. And trust me, a lot of things get hard with a broken hand in your life. When you don't want to go to work that day, and you're at work, and you're just struggling to make it through, it's 3 o'clock, and they didn't let you have enough time to get your coffee. These types of things, they're not thorns. They're not going to really do a lot of damage. But, but we go through life, and we feel like we're being pricked. That's the thistly curse. There's also the curse of, of thorns. Now, the thorns are a little more serious. And these can be on, on, on the level of uh, decisions that we might make or, or things that might happen in which uh, we can lose a job and we can really get stabbed or relationships and we can drive people away. Things like divorce, things like breaking up. Um, the thorns will cause people to have to go to court over custody battles and their children. Um, thorns uh, in this life, this curse of thorns can, can break our hopes. They can break our dreams. The thorns of life are, are, are when we feel like uh, as, as a young person, we have these ideas of the type of work we're going to do, but as we go through life, we realize that we never quite reach that, that ideal job or that ideal way in which we're giving back to society through our work. There's ways in which this curse is now upon each of us in our lives, and for each step of our life, um, because of this curse, each step of our life, we're getting pricked or we're actually getting pretty seriously poked. And it's taking us away from that wholeness and that sense of peace that 
we were originally designed to have. And in the beginning, God's idea was that we would be created to follow God's word, and that word would bring us life. That word would allow us to have creativity, to have fulfillment in our work. But the moment that each of us, like Adam and Eve, began to step away from that original design, this curse of thistles, this curse of thorns comes in. And now, as we each know, as described in Scripture, now each step of our life, there's either, there's either that level of agitation or there is serious damage that is done. And it, it prevents us from moving forward in the ways that we had hoped. As we till the soil in our lives, as you go to work, as you try and build relationships, so often we, 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 we turn back because we've, we've been pricked and poked and our hands are bloodied because of what is happening in our life. Life is hard. That hardship we see in Scripture is to be expected. The hardship in our lives is to be expected. And it's a result of this, this original path that we took away from God's Word. And there's a second thing, a, a second idea here, that we've also had a loss of, of place or a loss of space. Um, it says, He must not be allowed to reach out His hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the Tree of Life. We never really feel complete, do we? We never truly feel whole. When we leave that garden, when God needs to take us and put us in a different place, we've also left that, that, beautiful, that beautiful garden which we're created to live in. Now, the promise of Jesus is that he is about the business of restoring and reconciling. And when he comes back, He's going to create all things new again and reestablish this original designed place for us to be. There'll be a new heaven, a new earth. But right in this scene, we see Adam and Eve being taken out of that garden. And they're leaving then that place where they find a sense of home. We try our best, right, to create a sense of home in our life, especially during Christmas. For me, one of the biggest things is music. And, oh, and there's certain music. There is one record that we used to play a lot growing up. And it has a lot of the, the classics on it. You know, I'll be home for Christmas. And then, and then there's the one, the, uh, the Silver Bell song. I think it's Bing singing it, Bing Crosby. And it's great because this particular record has a little blip in the front of it. It goes, boo-doo, silver bells. You know like records have? I can listen to that song, and it doesn't sound like Christmas if it doesn't have that little blip in it. We, we, have, we have a sense in us of home. And I think we go through life knowing that we're made for that. We know that we were made for this ultimate sense of, of belonging in a home, in a, in a place where, where we were designed to find our rest, to hang our hat, to hang our hearts. And we, we so desperately want it and to, to long for it and to create it. 
That's natural. That's right. It's biblical. And, you, and we do long for it. It's just we have been taken from it. And then the last thing is, um, you know, in life, we lose our loved ones. We lose our loved ones. And I'd, I'd say probably everybody here has, has had an experience on some level of having to say goodbye to a loved one. This could either, either be a permanent goodbye because they're going to go live with another family. You might not see them again. Or this could be uh, the death of someone that you dearly love. In the moment that Adam and Eve reached out and took that apple, walked away from God, God's words are that it was necessary for us to also no longer be able to reach out and grab the tree of life. And so now, in this, in this time in which we are living, now death is a reality. But it's not something we were originally created to experience, and it's not something that is in our future when Jesus returns. Well, well again, there'll be eternity-based built in there. But for right now, we do have this this pain, this sorrow that's attached with the loss of life. And again, as we enter into Genesis 3 in this series, it's something that's a, that's a part of life. It's something that's a part of, of what we're living. We already sang this verse today. It says, No more let sins and sorrows grow nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. This verse talks about uh, the curse that we see here in Genesis 3. How many times have you sung this, this hymn, this Christmas carol, and not stopped and actually thought about, wait, curse? <laughs> What's it talking about? <laughs> the curse is real. The curse is found in Scripture. It's, it's, it's part of the effect, the direct effect, the causal relationship between uh, ourselves and walking away from, from God's design for us. It's built into the fabric of the human existence, as you can see in God's Word. But this verse goes on to talk about the one who is coming, the one who has come, the one who will come again, uh, that takes away this threat of the curse, that takes away the effects of this curse, and instead replaces those with blessing. In the Beatitudes, Jesus is on a, a mount, and he is preaching one of his famous sermons. Actually, uh, the Beatitudes, found in Matthew 5, this was the first step I took from Scripture when I began at this church. I did my first sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount on the Beatitudes. And why? Because uh, as Jesus begins to talk about blessing instead of a curse, as Jesus talks about blessing, replacing the effects of the curse in people's lives, he is talking about this new reality that he is bringing, that he is ushering in through his birth, in which he is undoing all of the spiritual bindings, the negative bindings upon your life that are based on curse. In Luke 6, uh, Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. 
Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you. And he goes on. All of these negatives are effects of the curse in our life. The thorny, prickly, thistly curse. The sense of loss of place curse. The loss of life curse. But here, Jesus comes, and this is why, this is why it took an angel to come and talk about this to Mary. This is why at Jesus' birth, the shepherds out in the fields, it needed angels, a whole company of the heavenly hosts, to come and, and talk about the joy that is coming with Christ's birth. Because this changes everything in your life. Instead of now of, of everything being based on the curse, with Jesus' life, this is why Christmas is so important to the Christian life, at Jesus' birth, all of the curse is being undone. It's like in Narnia, the white witch has made winter, and everything's frozen, there's snow. But as Aslan begins to come, what happens? Everything begins to thaw. Right now, you're living in that moment as winter is turning into spring. The curse that held everything into winter has been broken. It's not yet fully budded trees outside. We still know hardship. But Jesus is the one who's come to break the spell of the curse in your life. And so now, the joy that we experience is that you are now free to explore life without sin and without sorrow. You have been freed to explore life without sin and sorrow. You can now at least ask the question, what would my life look like without sin and sorrow? You're, you are allowed to ask that question now. What would my life look like without sin and sorrow? And you can ask with a, with a future confidence that you, it might seem ideal to not sin, and it is, you're going to. <laughs> but you can ask with future confidence that Jesus coming back promises a time in which sin will no longer be an option. And so, sorrow is produced by sin. The sorrow that you feel in life is produced by sin. It might not be your sin. It could have been sin that was done well before you were even born. But all the brokenness in this world is a result of sin at some point. It could be a sin that you had no part in. But you are now even feeling the effects of that sorrow. Jesus comes back. Jesus promises that he is actively undoing this curse, actively undoing the power of sin in this world, and so also undoing that active participant of sorrow in your life. And the dangerous question that you can ask is what would my life look like without sin and sorrow? And why is it a dangerous question? Because you have false fears that are dependent upon your sense of sin and, and sorrow. The fears in your life limit where you can go. Whatever you fear is what's going to limit your life. The fears set the limits of the freedom in your life. Does that make sense? Whatever you fear will tell you I can go no further. Do you fear not getting the right job? Do you fear what someone else is going to think about you? 
And Jesus coming back is going to release us from all of these fears. But right now, you have the opportunity to put on life without sin, to put on life without sorrow, and to dream big, to have no fear there, to use your imagination. Um, one of my favorite movies, uh, Willy Wonka, and there's that song. You know, remember in Willy Wonka when, when the kids go into that large... Uh, what would you call it? Large room, planetarium, that he's creative, all the different candy, right? There's, there's a river of chocolate. All the flowers are candy. You can walk up, you can literally lick the walls. And he begins to sing a song. Where is it? Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. What we'll see will defy explanation. If you want to view paradise, simply look around and view it. Anything you want to do, do it. Remember that song? This is, oh yes. Is that you, Donna? <laughs> Someone said that. Oh yes, Kim? I, I, I think this, this idea of coming into that new paradise the freedom that you get, you get, the joy that you get when you come into that room, right? There's joy there for all of them. That's the joy of Christ's birth for you because it's like you've been given the freedom to put on a life that instead of being based on the, the grooves and, and, and the ways in which you've created sinful practices and sorrow in your life, you're free to ask, what would my life be like without that? And then the promise of the Holy Spirit in your life is that you'll actually be able to take steps. In Romans 8, this is what Paul says. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies. This is something that uh, a lot of Christian leaders will, will talk about, an already but not yet life. Okay, So, on the one hand, on the broken hand side, we have already Jesus has come and given you uh, an opportunity to experiment life without the sin and the sorrow, without the fear. Okay, That's already happened. But not yet do we fully live in a reality with no sin. Not yet can you walk out of here and, and expect only hope and joy and unicorns and rainbows, right? You walk out of here, you know there's going to be hardship today. So we're, we're living between Jesus, the first advent, and Jesus, the second advent. We're here in the middle now, having to experience the hardship, but also with, with the hope and the promise that he will come again and there will be no longer sin, there will be no longer pain, and the tears and the sorrow. Those are the promises of Christ. And so here now, we can ask the question, what would my life be like? What would this situation, what would my day look like? How could I do things differently so that sin is not a part of it? We're free to ask that question. And the promise of the Holy Spirit is that we are going to be empowered. When we seriously take that question put it before ourselves. God is also there promising to help us take steps forward. It's like taking the first fruit of, of, of the crop. It's like we get to have an appetizer. It's like we get to smell it. 
You know when you walk out sometimes of our sanctuary, you can smell in and out wafting over here? It's like you know it's there. You know it's a possibility. I could have a cheeseburger. This is, this is the life that God wants for you. When you're here and you hear a sermon or, or when you're in prayer or in Christian community, it's like, it's like we can begin to, to, to know, to smell. We can, we can begin to taste this life that God wants for us. Even amidst the curse that we still walk through, this prickling and this poking that I don't really want to go to work today. We can feel it. We can feel that. Jesus' own parables liken the kingdom here with us to like a, a yeast or, or a growing tree. Which one do I have first, Patty? Matthew or, or, yeah, Matthew 13. So he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that birds can come and perch in its branches. The seed is already planted in your life. And as time is moving forward, this seed is becoming a tree. It's not a tree yet. You're still, you're still going to experience hardship. You're still going to make that one really dumb decision today. I know it. <laughs> but the tree is growing. And then the second one, Patty, the, the second one that Jesus offers us, again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. The yeast has been introduced into your life and into this world. The Spirit is kneading it in your life as you sit here right now. This is happening. Your life is changing, even if you don't know it. <laughs> And so we have been free now. Jesus' birth, breaking this curse, joy to the world, is that we are free to cultivate this already but not yet life. We're free to think, what would it look like in my life if the thorns and the thistles were taken out? What would it look like in my life if I were to show joy if I were to smell that freshly baking bread that I know is there, or that in-and-out hamburger, or those brownies, whatever it is, what if I lived my life and it was obvious to other people that I knew, that I knew there was joy because I'm going to taste those brownies? My work is annoying, but I can live in joy because I know this is a passing moment. The curse of these thorns and these thistles is a passing moment. The curse of not feeling like I have a place is a passing moment. The sorrow of death is a passing moment. So, three things for us. And here's the first one today. You're hearing that life's hardship is biblical. And that normal is normal to experience the thorns, the thistles, the lack of wholeness, and even death. If you think that somehow you're not being Christian because you experience the hardship as described here, don't worry. You're actually, you're more Christian if you acknowledge that it exists. 
You're more Christian if you're willing to admit there are thorns and thistles. You're more Christian if you're willing to admit there is sorrow and death. Okay? The second thing is, I would say, because of Jesus' birth, because the angels come and proclaim this to you, because of the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus is pronouncing blessings over the curses, you can actively trade in the sin and the sorrow for hope and joy because of the babe, because of Jesus. And as you, as you ask that question, what would my life look like if there was not today that same sin and that same sorrow? You're going to be ushering your soul heavenward. You're going to be able to not just smell that brownie, but kind of like, <laughs> I, I saw a picture the other week of, of a birthday picture of me that was taken in Hyatt Hall. Um, Sepida and Lita, a couple of them, uh, made a cake, a birthday cake for me. And they wanted Caleb to be in the picture. And so, uh, I didn't know this happened, but later I was showing Christy the birthday picture. She wasn't there. And you know what the birthday picture showed? Caleb, with his hand, reaching into the cake. <laughs> We're all like, cheese, and Caleb's like, yeah. <laughs> he didn't get any cake that day, I thought. But actually, he did. <laughs> Each of us can now already have that little taste. As we begin to ask the question, what would it look like for sin and sorrow to not be a part of it? Knowing that we will also make the bad decisions still, but ask the question powerfully. You can begin to taste those cooking brownies. A little bit of that in and out burger, whatever it is for you. You can begin to taste that in your life, what it's like to live once again in, in, in the design of God for you. Um, and also, as you do that, if you're living with joy, in spite of thorns, in spite of thistles, if you have a, a hope that even in the face of death, while death hurts and there's loss, while there's also hope, people will, will double-take. They'll say, where's that joy coming from? What's that about? You're not just going to help yourself take steps heavenward. You're also going to be showing other people the way. Other people that are suffering so deeply from a thorn, a thistle, a loss of sense of, of belonging, or even death in their life. And lastly, this is supposed to be done together. Life lived on purpose together. God's design is not for you to deal with the thorns and the thistles, the lack of a sense of home and, and, and death. The point is not to do this together. God's plan is for us to do this in community, as a church. We can help one another through this. We can help remind each other when we're getting pricked that there is, there is joy. There is this curse, but this curse is being broken. We're supposed to do this together. All, all the hardship in your life should not be lived by yourself. That's not the point. And I know that the church has often been thought of as a place where you get judged the church is often thought of as this place where you have to try and put on a happy face and be perfect. That's not what this church is going to be about. We have to be a place in which the curse is something we acknowledge and that we're all living with. And so together, we can support and encourage and even push one another forward to try on joy, to try on hope, to try on peace. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your, that your Holy Spirit would indeed be helping us to ask that question. What could life look like without this curse? Lord, I pray for 
for the patience to endure the hardships in our life, that when the thorns and the thistles prick us, that when we just feel like we don't have a sense of wholeness, that when we are confronted with the loss of a loved one and, and death, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be comforting us, would be, would be undergirding us with your, with your ministry of, of presence, and also, Lord, that you would give us a second option of joy. Help us. Help us to ask the question, what would it look like today, Lord, to walk away from, from the sin and the sorrow? Help us to catch a scent of your kingdom come. Help us to, to get a glance of that growing tree. Help us to, to see clearly how that yeast is moving through all the dough of our life in this world. Give us a vision. Give us a, a taste of this, Lord. Even amidst the hardship that we face today. We ask this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.